up, everyone? Hope you're doing fantastically well today. It is debate night 2020, and I hope you're not watching that shit. Oh, Joe Biden, let's get this stuff over with. But before we veer too far off and into the realm of politics, let me go ahead and introduce my homeboy first, Swan Humes. How you doing there, sir? Not bad at all, my man. How about yourself? I'm good, man. I am one of the smart ones not watching this damn debate. I am doing anything and everything else that I can. Stay kind of sane. How are you doing over there? I'm not not too too bad. I I don't watch the debates, man. I just I can't do it. People get too too excited about them, like it's a like it's a contest, and I'm like this. I don't I don't think this has as much impact as y'all think it does. Because this time four years ago, they thought that Hillary gave gave Trump the business, and then you know that night comes and he's the president. So I don't I don't give much weight to these um, debates anymore. Yeah, I've always thought of the base as like there for the people who haven't decided who they're voting for, and I hope everyone has decided already after these last how these last four years have gone. But we're not here to talk about politics because if we are, we'd be cussing people to fuck out. Instead, we're here to talk about MMA, and we have quite a bit to talk about with episode one seventy nine of the MMA Ratings Podcast. But before we jump into that, let's talk about where we are from um, a podcast standpoint. You can check us out on our flagship at MMARatings.net. That's the first and foremost uh, spot to hit our content. YouTube, you can catch us at MMA Ratings. You can check us out across all of the podcast networks at Spotify, Anchor, um, Google Podcasts, Apple iTunes, and Breaker. Instagram and Twitter, you can hit us at MMA Ratings.net in both of those spaces. Um, R Garcia underscore sports in both spaces. And Schwan Humes is at Black Jordan Breen. Uh, what else? That's, I think that's what I'm. I think that's everything. We are at a hundred. We are close to our subscription goal for YouTube this year. So, if you're listening to this content, you probably have already subscribed. If not, uh, please go and subscribe to our YouTube channel at MMA Ratings. Um, we're doing the best we can to keep up the content there. I have a pretty interesting interview coming next week. Can't wait to do that. But let's go ahead and start talking about some MMA action from this week and. We're going to start with UFC 253 with the main event. Israel Adesanya stopped Paulo Costa in the second round of this bout, the second round. Schwan, what did you see here from Adesanya? Let's start there. Were you surprised with this outcome? Were you not surprised? What did you think? Um, I was the Nothing Adesanya did surprised me. I mean, he addressed... He added some things. He refined some things. He sharpened some things up, so that the basically, as we discussed last week, Paulo likes to apply pressure. He likes to get guys up against the cage and work them over. Israel made some adjustments so that you wouldn't be able to get as easy an entry when coming into him. You'd have to get through something, or you'd have to find him. But um, I can't say that he did a whole lot that I didn't expect him to do. He did pretty much what I expected him to do, especially if um, Costa wasn't going to put pressure on him. He sat back and he just sniped. He sniped him with the jab, sniped him with the leg kicks. Then he started going to the body. Then he started bring, coming up over the top with the shots. And then he started throwing the head kicks. It's pretty much the leg kicks were what he used to establish his distance and, and, and create a defensive buffer that um, Costa couldn't get through. And then once he found his rhythm with the leg kicks, then he just started building everything up off of it. He, did, he didn't just settle for the leg kicks like he did against Romero. He started landing them early. And then he started slowly. He started building off, building off those leg kicks immediately. Leg kick, 
leg kick faint, leg kick, leg kick faint, leg kick jab, leg kick right hand. It just he just built off of the, he built off it once he found the success, and then he just started mixing everything up, fainting Costa all over the place, and then just picking him apart. I mean, this is pretty much the best case scenario he could have expected for a fight, and it's what I expected him to do. You know, he didn't go crazy. He didn't just throw some flying crazy techniques. He he was systematic and he was very deliberate in what he did in taking uh, Paulo Costa apart. Was there anything that you saw that stood out to you uh, in reference to this? There's a couple of questions I have in reference to Costa specifically, but was there anything from a strategy standpoint that really stood out to you? Because it really just looked like Adesanya was fainting, waiting for um, Costa to bite and then making making him eat it for the mistakes that he was um, committing. Was there anything that really stood out to you in reference to his strategy, or is that how you would expect anyone to want to fight um, Paulo Costa? Well, no, I wouldn't expect that just because usually Paulo Costa applies a lot of pressure. Usually he comes out from the word go and he's throwing strikes and he's trying to get his hands on you and he's trying to bully you to the cage. I mean, I can't even say he's bullying the cage because most guys in MMA, if you apply pressure, they back straight up to the cage. So ha- half of his work is done before before he even lands a shot. Um, I can't really say that the feints or anything that Adesanya was doing was too, really impressing me because Costa didn't really put any pressure out there. Costa, to my, and I would compare Valentina Shevchenko and Israel Adesanya to, to be similar. Both are kind of counter guys. Both are pretty good athletes. Both are light years ahead of everybody as far as their striking style, their technique, and their ability to adjust. The thing is, the, the, the most common thing between them is for you to ha- have a chance against these guys, you have to accept the fact you're going to take punishment. You have to put yourself in the line of fire to being finished or being KO'd. If you're not going to take those chances, you don't have any chance to beat them, especially if you're going to start off and fight in an extended long-range contest and look to get them to overcommit so that you can counter them or looking look, Look at to get them to chase you and to overcommit so that you can counter them. That's not going to work against people like that. The only way that you're going to have those opportunities is if you're getting in heavy exchanges and you're pushing a pace and you're you're imposing your will physically. But if you're just going to stand outside and try to feint your way in and let them hit you so that you can um, that he'll get greedy and he'll follow up, that's that's not going to happen with those two fighters. Those two fighters are essentially safety first fighters and they're not going to put themselves in the line of fire unnecessarily. As Israel Adesanya says, you got to fight smart. You're not trying to take punishment. You're not trying to show how tough you are. You're trying to make the other guy take punishment, completely disable disable his confidence by shutting him down with your defense and your counters, and then take over with your offense to finish him. So he was never going to take risks. For you to have a chance to beat him, you have to take risks. Paulo never took any risks. He stood at range. And last week I said, if he stays at range and he tries to have a technical boxing match with them, technical striking match, he's not going to win. His Keys of success were volume, physicality, and the fact that he was willing to take some to give some. If I would have known that he's not going to even he's not going to use his three best tools, I would have said there's no way he can win the fight. And he did what I told said he couldn't do, and he lost the fight. I said if he stayed at range, he was going to lose and lose, and it wouldn't go five rounds. Said he's going to get cut up, and said he's going to get stopped. He stayed at range, and he got cut up, and then he got stopped. It it was just that's why as impressive as Israel Adesanya was. It's easy to be impressive when you have somebody who's not providing you any resistance, who's not making you think, who's not making you work. There's, there's, there, how impressive is that? So one thing that stood out to me in reference to Costa specifically is that he really looked like a deer 
in headlights. Not even from the very beginning did he start to rush the uh, situation and even try to close the distance in any way, shape, or form against uh, Adesanya. What was that, Shawan? Like He didn't even attempt to close the distance right out the gate. It's almost as if the fight started and he knew that he was in a bad, bad spot when it came to managing distance and, and being able to get to the, the champion. What would you uh, change in reference to that? And like, is this something that, is this like an immediate change he could make that maybe this fight would look different if they fought in three months? Or is this a, this a situation that's not going to change any? The sad part is he's probably going to end up getting Misha Tated or John Fitch. That's really what's going to end up happening because of the nature of this loss. It wasn't competitive enough for anybody to demand a rematch. And at the best case scenario, he's probably going to have to win three to four fights in a row before he's anywhere near a title fight. But when you lose in that manner, you don't have an argument. You don't have an argument for a rematch. And beating one or two guys, especially if it's guys that Israel Adesanya has already beaten, isn't going to help you get any leeway. He's pretty much going to almost have to clean out the entire division before he gets the second shot. And if Israel doesn't move up, he has no chance of fighting for the middleweight title, in my opinion. Um, I would agree with you. I think he just kind of froze. Um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff he could have done differently. I, you know, I, I watching the fight, everybody kept telling me he was trying to pressure. He was trying to do something. He, he wasn't. He came to Israel Adesanya. He got right up on the edge of his range, and he just stood there. Now, I understood what he was trying to do. I think he thought if he let Israel kick him a couple times, kick him to the leg, kind of take a lead, that Adesanya would either get lazy or Adesanya would get greedy, and then he'd find an opening to counter him, maybe counter something big to the head, counter something to the body. The thing about it is he waited too late to get going. He wasn't putting any pressure on him, and Adesanya is not like a, an unseasoned striker. When you put pressure on them, like a Dominic Reyes, they'll start striking because they feel you closing in on them. So they'll just start striking and throwing a bunch of volume to get you away, so they can get a, so they can get an exit, so they, they can get get away from you. Someone like Israel Adesanya is just gonna faint. He's not gonna waste energy using strikes. He's gonna faint. He's gonna pivot out, or he's gonna angle out and make you have to reset and chase him. That's all he was doing because he's not bothered by pressure, especially pressure that's not followed up with strikes or wrestling or clinch attempts. So he just came to the he came. So Costa came to the edge of the range, and basically, it is Adesanya to start kicking the shit out of him. Adesanya said, "You're gonna just, you're just gonna give me the the legs, and I'm just gonna take the legs. I'm not gonna throw a lot of combinations to the to the to the body. I'm not gonna throw it to the head. I'm just gonna take your legs. I'm gonna take what you're giving me. Get my rhythm. Find my spacing. See what you're gonna do. And when I when he realized he didn't have anything coming back at him, then he started opening up. By the time Costa started started trying to turn it on, it, it was essentially too late. If I was Costa. The minute he kicked me in the legs, I would have kicked him right back. The minute he kicked me in the legs, I would have kicked to the body. Just fire something back. Fire something back to a target that's available so that he knows that anytime he fires, he's got something to come back, which will make him hesitate in what he's throwing, or at least make him have to be defensively aware. You throw, you throw a head kick, he blocks it, follow up with the strikes. You throw it to the leg, he kicks you the leg, you kick him back. He throw, kicks you the leg, you kick him to the body. When Costa threw to the legs, he landed. He kicked to the legs, he landed. He kicked to the body, he landed. Yeah, Adesanya caught him. Yeah, he blocked some of them, but the fact of the matter, he was still making contact. He was still forcing him to work, but he waited too long. He just waited. He didn't put any pressure. He wasn't trying to throw punches. He wasn't trying to force a pace. He was standing in range, getting into a technical striking match with the best technical striker in mixed martial arts. So I have to assume he froze because from what I know of his team, there's no way that's the plan they came up with. There's no way the plan was to exclusively let him tee off. I understand being patient so you don't run into something. I understand letting him take the lead so you can counter. But if he's throwing something safe like leg kicks, 
like, and he's throwing them that quick and sending them up off a of faint, then you have to fire something back just to keep him honest. It's like if you're chasing him with submission and a guy will never try, try to counter your submission and you're just rear naked choke, arm bar, leg lock, and he's not doing anything except defending, you're going to keep on peeling off submission attempts because nothing's coming back at you. Now, if, he, if, you, if you go for a submission, he escapes and tries to submit you, well, then all of a sudden you have to be careful what you throw out there because he might counter you. But if he's not going to counter you, what are you going to do? You're just going to keep on building on submissions until you get it. That's essentially what happened. He just stood there, and by, by the time he reacted in the second round, it was too late. The fight was out of hand. His lead, lead leg had been chewed up. Adesanya had gotten his timing. Adesanya's confidence had been there. And now he didn't have the confidence or the physical ability to pressure anymore because his leg was gone. So something I'll say in one spot that where I'll disagree with you very lightly is that I think that Adesanya is closer to a title shot than we may want to initially say. And the reason why I say that is because I think... Yeah. Um, because I think sure. that, that the UFC likes him. And I think they would want to put him in that title picture as quickly as possible. He's the type of champion that they tend to enjoy. Uh, yeah, Adesanya is someone... I think, I, and I wrote about this last week, I think it was last week before the fight. I think I, I think they are going to sour on Adesanya sooner rather than later. He's outspoken in ways that they um, that they don't appreciate. Uh, not only does he call out fighters and, and say whatever he needs to say in reference to opponents, yeah, he does that. But he's been pretty adamant about being outspoken about... Um, "Quote unquote politics, like stuff that they don't want fighters talking about, and I think that that's something that they may not appreciate as much. And I think I would not be surprised if they want to if they put him, book him into a situation that is more difficult for him to come back with. Maybe that is a fighting, uh, fighting Costa on a rematch sooner rather than later. I wouldn't agree with it, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did something like that. And to be honest, I think they like Costa." I think they, they like him more than we may think simply because of the way he fights, that those types of fights create exciting contests. Maybe not the most strategic, which they aren't, but they're the type of fights that they can make highlights on. They're the type of fights that, that they can uh, promote the hell out of, and he's that, he's that guy that fights that way. Casa is, is not, and I, and I wouldn't be surprised if they're souring on him just a bit well, for the wrong I, reasons. I, I, Costa is going to at least have to put a win or two. And the thing about it is, even at his best, with the guys he'd have to face right now, Robert Whitaker, a uh, Jerry Cannonier, even at his best, Joel Romero, even Uriah Hall, guys he's already beaten, even at his best, those guys gave him tough, ma- tough matches. The, the technical limitations he had were already exposed against those guys. And had he fought them in a similar manner that he fought Adesanya, he wouldn't have beaten Romero. He wouldn't have beaten Hall. He would, have, he would have lost those two and never, never been near a title shot. Even in his best-case scenario, the way he fights makes it a 50-50 proposition because he's going, to give, he's going to take as much as he gives, and he's going to force a high pace that could just as well exhaust him as it is going to, as, as it would his opponent. So it's not like there's any matchup moving on here from here on out that he's not 50-50 on. Cannoneer, 50-50. Whitaker, if he's back 100%, 50-50. Uriah Hall at this point, 50-50. At Yo Romero, still 50-50. There's no fight that he, there's no real matchups for guys that would actually make sense or keep him close to a title fight. That make title fights that are easy fights. Every fight he could win is a fight that he could equally lose. There's no real easy wins for him at this point. I mean, Derek Brunson at this point, 
might be a 50-50 fight. So I, I don't know that there's any way for him to stay close to the title or get back to the title without possibly picking up a loss or two. I'm not saying he will, but based on the skills he's had and the skills he's shown and his physical tools, the guys he's he's cur- currently in line to face to get back to the title shot are all athletic enough, experienced enough, and skilled enough that they're just as likely to beat him as he is to beat them. And I know he didn't seem to have lost any confidence after this fight. Maybe it's because he knew he didn't do his best. But after this fight, it's going to take him a couple of fights for him to build up trust in the fans that he's going to execute when the time comes. Because he talked a lot about the guy running from him, the guy scared. He's still talking about it. But when he had a chance to do something about it, he completely froze. And I said that last week. He might freeze. He's never been under this kind of scrutiny. He's never been under this kind of pressure. He's ne- I don't even know. Did he- I think he headlined one UFC when he fought Yo Romero, I think. So he, he hasn't really been a guy who's under that kind of a, under that kind of spotlight, and maybe it just got to him. But the fact of the matter is, it got to him on a very big scale, very big platform, and everybody saw him thoroughly undressed. It wasn't competitive. It wasn't even exciting. He didn't even, you know, go out on his shield. He he just essentially stood there and got beat up. And as much as I want to give Asanya credit for doing the right things and taking advantage of it, that's genius. That's wonderful. The fact of the matter is. Costa did not take the chances necessary to give him any chance. And the same thing I said about Liz Carmouche against Valentina. She has to take chances. She's going to have to walk through fire. And people will say they're world-class. It wouldn't have mattered. But how many times have we seen a world-class boxer who's a great technician facing a guy who's got maybe a strategy and a certain amount of skill, but he's willing to push the pace, he's willing to get physical, he's willing to take some to get some, and you see them be able to do work against a much better technician. Vasily Lachenko against Salido. Uh, Floyd Mayweather versus Marcus Maidana. Marcus Maidana isn't half the boxer Floyd Mayweather is, but what made it exciting? Because he pushed the pace, he was hitting him wherever he could hit him, he put his his physicality, and he had set up certain counters to take advantage of the openings that were presented by Floyd's style. Costa found openings in Israel style. He kicked the body, kicked the leg successfully. He didn't do it enough. He wasn't willing to walk through fire to get to the positions he needed to get to. He tried to make it technical, and he was never going to win a technical fight. He was going to have to fight, and he didn't. So we're going to be talking about some technical boxing in a minute later on. That's on the agenda for tonight, too. Uh, last question I wanted to talk to you in reference to this. Did you see any controversy in Adesanya's um, humping Casa at the end? I don't, and I'm going to be 110% frank about this. I don't give a fuck about that. If people weren't upset about Kobe Covington's comments, I don't give a fuck. If people aren't upset about Conor McGregor's comments, I don't give a fuck. If we don't give a, if we're not upset about Paula Costa and his transphobic and homophobic comments leading in, in, into this fight, we don't give a fuck. So if that is what people are upset about, I'm going to have to be honest with you, their racism is showing all day, every day. What did you think about those, about that moment? And did you think that there's something to really, if there's something to make of that or are people talking about anything they can to really detract from his performance? Well, I, I'm not upset at it. I mean, knowing who he is, knowing who he is as a fighter and knowing how personally he took those things. I mean, when, when you fight somebody, you don't want somebody doing that stuff after the fight. The best way not to do it, if he would have given a tough fight, Adesanya wouldn't have done that. Adesanya did that because he thoroughly whipped him and dominated him he made it look easy that's why he did that to rub it in and i'm not saying i'm not saying i'm for it and eh, I, I could take it or leave it i'm just not as disgusted by it as other people are pretending to be like you said a lot of people a lot of people are taking offense to it because they consider it poor sportsmanship you've already defeated him you've already you've already beaten him up now you're pretending like you're doing a sex act like you're raping 
some somebody explained to me, act like you're raping him. That's unnecessary. I could see that point. But once again, this is the fight business. People say and do despicable things. And if you're going to hold a standard, then you have to hold everybody to the standard. Making fun of people's wives, making fun of transphobic people, making fun of gay people, attacking people's beliefs. If you're going to let that slide and say that's just business that's helping itself, then you have to understand that Israel Adesanya is taking care of business and he's helping itself. That little act show we put on after the fight is going to, you're going to have a bunch of fighters who are going to teach him a lesson about respect. You have a bunch of fans who are going to tune in to see him lose and see him humbled. He's playing the game the same way everybody else is. And like you said, if you're not going to criticize them for playing the game, then you can't criticize him for playing the game. Good stuff there, sir. Good stuff there. Um, now, let's talk about the co-main event. I almost forgot about this fight. Jan Blachowicz defeats Dominic Reyes. This also in the second round? I don't really remember, but I just remember that he stops him via TKO. And Wow. I don't think anyone kind of saw this coming. Um, Reyes was a favorite heading into this fight, clearly because of the fight that he gave John Jones. But before we talk about Blahovich and his win, I want to give that enough credit and talk about that uh, probably the most out of this piece of this conversation. Did you notice anything was off with Reyes coming to the, uh, the cage? I've been hearing a lot about him having a hard time with his weight cut this time around, and do you think that that was a major concern this time out, or was he just outclassed? Well, and it's just going to sound like I'm trying to toot my own horn, but I said this last week. I literally said, I'm like, it's a six-week camp. There might be some issues as far as his preparation, because he is a big guy, and he probably, he might need more time to get himself prepared to take advantage of the, the one advantage he has in the fight, which is his physical strength and his athleticism. His, all his advantages were physical. So having be essentially on a short notice fight doesn't guarantee he's going to make weight. It doesn't guarantee he's in the best shape. It doesn't guarantee his body's in the best position to perform. And he would need that to have any chance against John because John, John is a much better fighter strategically, mentally, as far as poise and maturity, as far as experience facing different styles, and as far as actual technical skill. He's a much better fighter. The only advantage Dominic Gray has had was athleticism. And that's where I said, you have to favor him because of what he did against Jones and his athleticism. Jan has had problems with strong, aggressive, athletic people. Luke Rockhold was, was giving him a tough time. Jerry Cannonier was giving him a tough time. Diego, Diego Santos knocked him out because he had a problem with their athleticism and their physicality. Dominic Reyes is a very big, very good athlete, very busy fighter, very strong fighter, who, who is light years ahead of Jan as far as his athleticism. But I also said... Jan is a much better fighter. He's got layered offense and defense, and I don't believe that Reyes has the skills to penetrate that defense without extending himself looking for a knockout. Now, I thought Jan would beat him. Jan could beat him. I thought it would be more of a decision because I figured Reyes has, Reyes has had to improve. He has to know that after that Jones fight, that he's being set up for the title, and he needs to make sure he's 100% locked in and improved. But like I said before, I didn't think very much of his camp. He gets by on athletic skills. He does not get by on technique, strategy, or IQ. And he got exposed completely. He got exposed for how simplistic his fight style is, how simplistic his setups are, and how, how thoroughly unprepared he is to do anything except dominate. If he's not dominating a fight, he doesn't know how to fight. It was shown, against, it was shown in the Jones fight. It was once again shown in this fight. If he is not in complete control of fight, impressing you with his speed, his quickness, and his mobility, and, and his power, 
he's he's literally got nothing for you. Jan broke him down with some intelligent counters and pressure. John Jones just broke him down by absorbing a bunch of punishment and continue to walk forward. He didn't do anything. He he didn't do anything except walk forward, throw strikes, and attempt takedowns, and he wore Rays down and beat him by split decision. Jan, Jan had showed more skills than what he did, but it's essentially the same thing. He just broke him down. And Dominic Reyes did not have the awareness or the technique to bail him out once he got tired and once he didn't have any answers for what Jan was doing. He, he, he just couldn't figure anything out. So, okay. I mean, I, you really kind of covered it all there. And in looking at this, this win here by Jan, Jan Blahovitz, what does UFC do with him next? Because, again, they are all about promoting or putting or having guys in championship position, women as well, that they can promote. That's why Kobe Covington is a big um, item for them. That's why Ronda Rousey is a big item for them. That's why uh, Henry Cejudo was a bigger item than Demetrius Johnson. The, the, the cycle really continues for what they look for in a champion. Jan really isn't that guy. He's a quiet individual. He's kind of weird and a little bit oh, in some sense. He'll, some he'll, start, say, he'll start talking now. Now he's got the bell. He'll start talking. Well, did you see what he said to Cormier? Yeah. I saw it. He, he knows the situation he's in. He knows he can't sell. He knows the UFC did not want that belt on him. They wanted it on red so they'd have access to the Mexican-American market and then he'd be a young guy who's athletic who 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 could have made an NFL team, which is another selling angle. You could you, you could market Reyes all over ESPN, all over Fox, Fox Sports News. That's what you could do with Reyes. You can't do that with Jan. So Jan's starting to talk because he knows he might have most. First of all, he's fought in the light heavyweight division for years. He's fought most of the guys in there already. So there's not a lot of big time money matches for him. There's not a lot of sexy matches for him either. It's a bunch of tough, gritty guys he's got to fight. Some of which, one of which he's already beaten them. He, there's there's nothing that's gonna make him money or make him a star in the U.S. Jones isn't there anymore. Cormier is not there. He dominated Reyes. Who is he gonna fight for a big payday? OSP, Tiago Santos, um, Smith again. Smith's gonna get dragged back up, and they're gonna give him an opportunity. There's no one for him to fight to make money or to cross over as a star. And his style doesn't favor that either. This fight was set up for Dominic Reyes. They wanted Reyes to win. They thought Reyes was better than he is based on that fight against Jones. And they found out the same thing Jones found out. Reyes does not have anything outside of fighting at a high pace and athleticism. Once the pace slows, his skills slow. Once the athleticism, athleticism wanes, his defense, his counters, and his ability to defend takedowns all goes away. He's, he's purely physically tools. His team did not build him up. And Jones exposed him. I said this when he lost the fight. Jones exposed some holes in his game plan and some holes in his skill. It was on his team to get him better. And they had all this time to get him better and all this time to develop new skills and develop new approaches, learn how to set up takedown, this, anything they could have done. They did none of it. He came out there looking like the same fighter against Jones and then found out he wasn't in there with a guy who, 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 who was like Jones. John doesn't have Jones's chin, so Jan can't afford to let him tee off and just wear down. Jan had to actively counter. Jan had to break him down more, more aggressively because he didn't have Jones' athleticism. He didn't have Jones' durability. So he had to be more aggressive in what he's doing because he can't afford to let Reyes get going. Jones knew Reyes didn't have anything else. He let Reyes hit him and hit him and hit him. He knew Reyes was going to tire. He knew he didn't have to do anything else except stay in Reyes' face, keep his hands on him, not get knocked out, not get knocked out, not get knocked out, and, and Reyes would fade, and Reyes faded. Jan knew he had to do a little bit more, but he knew that Reyes had no defensive skill set. He had no defensive skill set. He had no tactical awareness. 
he served himself up to get knocked out, and his corner had no answers for him because they 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 corner from a position of strength. You're bigger, you're stronger, you're faster. You should be able to do all these things. We'll show we'll show you three or four techniques, two or three approaches. That's enough. And when it wasn't enough, they had no answers. Oh, he's not falling for the low kick. Okay, uh, he's not walking into shots. Okay, he's still pressuring us. He didn't pivot. He knew how to pivot out. He didn't know how to angle. He was wasting energy flying all around. He didn't know how to catch a kick and counter. He didn't know how to roll with a kick or block it. He was just getting chopped up. Like he couldn't stop anything that was happening to him. He had no skills, no technical answer. And so either he froze, which isn't what happened because he's already fought in the big stage and fought Jones. He was physically compromised, which possible, but still, even if you're physically compromised, that's when the skills and the IQ come into come in, come into play. Jones, we've seen John Jones physically compromised and not focused. And the IQ and the technical skills came into play. Reyes doesn't have any. That's why he couldn't do anything except get beat the fuck up by an old man. So here's another question I have for you in reference to Blahovitz. You know, you already pointed out he's fought a lot of the people in this weight class and he struggled against some of them. Who do you put him up against next? Where do you go with him now? Or um, is there anyone that immediately jumps off the, off the page as the next name for um, Jan's first run with the uh, belt? I guess maybe if Glover wins his next fight, maybe Glover could fight him. If I'm OSP, I'm trying to get another fight in so I can get him. Maybe that Russian guy, but his fight was so bad. I, I would say which Glover, was, uh, oh, the, one who beat, the one who beat a Lionheart, a uh, couple of... Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Wasn't no, that wasn't. Wasn't that at 185? Oh yeah, you're right. I think so. I think so. I'm not sure. Uh, if it was, then I mean, they they don't have anybody in light heavyweight who's got. I mean, I mean, maybe Johnny Walker at some point. I mean, there's nobody. There's no. There's nobody who, who's put enough wins together that would justify a title fight. I mean, even if Corey Anderson was here, he already beat Corey Anderson. Thiago Santos, when he gets healthy, I guess he's. He might, he might be in line. Uh, Cannoneer no longer fights at light heavyweight. So I figure it's going to be somebody who's got some familiarity and a name. OSP, Glover Teixeira. I guess if Shogun can pull a win out of his butt, Shogun. So it's got to be somebody with a name. Could you imagine if Shogun is, in, is, back in the, uh, is back in the title picture somehow? Could you imagine nope. being in that world? Shogun, Shogun could have a chance. Shogun is not athletic anymore, except in spots. But he's durable, and he's got enough counterpunching and, 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 and craft built over his time in in combat sports, he'd have a chance. Glover Teixeira has a chance. OSP has a chance. Jan is good technically. He's very poised. He's very mature. He's very seasoned. But he's still not a great athlete. He's still not a big hitter. He still doesn't take the greatest shot either. And he, and he still tires when forced to work at pace. That's why he's developed all these skills so he can slow a fight down and not be forced to work at pace because he can't fight at pace. There's a lot of guys who in the division who could beat him. I'm not saying they're guaranteed to beat him, but they're threats to beat him. But the one thing, one thing I want to say before we close it out is Dominic Reyes' team needs to take six to eight months. They might even take a whole year off. Take a whole year off and really work on this young man's game. He is too good an athlete, and he's got too much potential talent for him to be going out like that. And the beating he took, even though it was just two rounds, that's the kind of beating that could change a fighter. And it, the book's already been written out of him. They know, we, know he, we know he's got limited offense, and it's all attribute-based. We know he's got limited defense, and it's attribute-based. We know he can't... He can't. He, he sets a pace that he can't maintain, and we know his biggest his the biggest tools he has are physical. Mentally, he doesn't have it, and te- and technically, he doesn't have it. the The curtain's been pulled back. We've already seen the best of him as it stands right now. He needs to add something else. He needs to develop his skills 
and really work on refining things and diversifying what he does. If he comes back out doing the same thing, there is a very good chance he's going to take an even worse beating moving forward. I don't think he should. I don't. I don't think he should do that. I think he really needs to take some time out and re and heal, and then reassess where he's weak at. If he needs to bring in another cornerman, bring in another coach, he needs to bring him in. This is a very short career in combat sports, and after taking the beating he took in that last fight, I don't think he can take two or three more of those. Two or three more of those, and, and you, he might have he might have peaked. Jones fight might be the peak of his career. Right now, the Jones fight is the peak of his career. But if he keeps coming out like the way he is, he he won't have a long career. He'll be in Bellator before the next two years are out. So let me ask one last question about the because you brought it up. You mentioned it about Reyes' corner. What do you think the impact was of him changing his corner before this fight? I think he's working with his brothers again, and he went away from who he was working with. Um, wasn't, he, wasn't he working with his brothers in the first place? No, he wasn't. He was working with someone else before the um, Jones fight. And I and I heard who, but I can't remember who it was. Um, hmm. I can't think. Of, I can't think of who his corner was for the John Jones fight. But he changed his corner for this one. They actually talked about it during his his walk up. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I'm not sure who he used to work with. First of all, first of all, I was never impressed with Dominic Reyes. I've said this before. I, I said it after Jones fight. He's got some talent, he's got some skills, but it's highly dependent on his physical tools. If somebody makes it difficult for him, i.e., they can take it long enough for him to get tired, or, or they have enough layers where he has to work and he has to show more than, than quick, quick reads and quick attacks, he, he's, he's not going to be very effective. But maybe if he, if he went over to his brother exclusively, maybe they didn't know how to build on it. I don't know, I'm not in the camp, I can just go by what I saw on fight night. And what I saw on fight night, he had no answers. He had no idea how to create openings. He had no idea how to get away from strikes. He had no idea how to counter. He, he, he just looked t- totally out of it. And once again, maybe the weight cut was bad. If, that's, if the weight cut was bad, then guess what? That's another reason to take six to eight months off. Let your body recover and see if you really need to be a light heavyweight. Maybe you need to move up the heavyweight. I don't know what needs to be done. But if it's true that the weight cut was bad, then he needs to take time and let his body recover. Because not only was you fighting at a lower weight and your body was punished by that, you went and then got the hell beat out of you for two rounds. That's not a good combination. So he needs to take time to recover and he needs to really develop some skills because even if you're physically compromised, you've seen boxers be dead tired, you've seen MMA fighters be tired and injured, and when they have a certain skill set or certain poise about them, they're able to make it five rounds. They're able to find an opportunity to finish. Look at Anderson Silva against Chael Sonnen, completely dominated. But because he had the poise, mental toughness and the poise and the technical skills, he found that submission. He pulled it out of nowhere. Misha Tate getting completely dominated by Holly Holm. Time to take down perfectly, finished it. Even when you're physically compromised, when you have enough skills and you have enough technical awareness, you can find ways to make things happen to win. And we've had multiple fighters break hands, break arms, uh, fracture things, and find ways to survive or find ways to win. He wasn't able to do either. He couldn't do either from the word go. So I think he needs to go back to the drawing board, recover first, and then slowly work on developing and expanding his skills. And then start up from scratch, work his way back up, work his way back up the division. Not take any shortcuts, not fight a top five guy again. Because like I said, if he's not 100% on point the next time, he's going to get stopped. He's going to get stopped badly, and he's going to sent all the way back to the end of the line. He still has some cachet. He still has some momentum. Do not waste it. 
by trying to rush and skip steps to get back to the top of the mountain. Okay. We got quite a bit to talk about today. So let's, let's, let's look at some of the rest of this card here. What else stood out to you on uh, Saturday about this specific card? Um, I like the, the Ketlin Vera uh, Eubanks fight. It was an important fight for the division. At one point, Vera was maybe a fight or two away from a title fight before she got injured. Then she had the loss against Irina Aldana. So we were going to see if Ketlin was going to show some of the talent and some of the, uh, basically some of the talent and get back some of the momentum to get her back in online as being a potential contender. Um, Sajar had come off a really big win. And if Sajar would have put these two wins together back-to-back, she could have been considered a legitimate contender in the Bantamweight division. Um, Vera won. She showed some improvement. She showed a little bit more maturity in what she was doing. She established her jab. She consistently used her jab. She showed a little bit more functionality on the feet as far as her striking. Her takedowns and her grappling was good as always. But she showed a little bit more maturity and a little bit more patience in, in the striking exchanges. So I, I feel like she improved. I still think she has some more work to do, and she should be trying to take a slower road back to the top where she can st- still lean on her physical tools and then expand on her technical tools. And even though Sajar Eubanks lost, I feel like she showed growth as a striker, and I feel like she showed that she's developed some all-around skills to enable her to control the pace of a fight a little bit so she's just not gassing when a girl jumps on her sets the pace and then builds on that pace. Her defense and her counters and her jab has improved to the point where you just can't run her over unless you're willing to take a little bit more punishment than most girls are comfortable with taking. So I applaud her for her improvement. And it was an important fight for the Bantamweight division because we have somebody who's been reestablished as a contender or we could have had somebody be newly established as a contender. A contender. In this case, somebody was reestablished in the form of Ketlin Vera. The thing that stood out the most to me about the Sajara Eubanks bout is that had Sajar been doing what she did in the third round, more so for the rest of the fight, I think she would have had a much better chance to win. She looked good in that third round. She was a much smaller fighter, four inches, four inch height difference. I think she had like, like a three inch reach of uh, disadvantage. I was impressed as well by what I saw about her, but I wish she would have started doing what she was, what she started doing in the third round to kind of take over. I wish she had been doing enough of that earlier in the fight. I, I think I, I agree with that. I don't know that she would have been able to. She was having, I don't think she was expecting Kat Littman to stick with her jab as much. When she was jabbing her, even when she started getting away from it, because her footwork isn't all the way there, when she would slip or duck, she would land one strike, but her feet weren't moving, so she couldn't land a strike take an angle so she could land two or three more. She, she was always throwing one or two at a time because of the length of Vera and that jab. The jab really set up everything. And by the time she figured out the jab, which was late in the third round, that's when she turned it on. But at, at that point, it was kind of like, it was a little bit too little too late. I think Vera kind of threw her off by jabbing so actively and um, kind of setting up her takedowns. Usually she was more of a bully. And then this time she was being a little bit more controlled with her aggression and setting the table with the jab and then following up for the clinches of the takedown attempt. So if she would have tried for that earlier and pushed the pace earlier, I don't think she would have won because it would have been extended exchanges, and I think she would have gassed a little bit earlier. I think fighting the fight she fought enabled her to have enough energy to make that late fight push. I'm not saying I wouldn't like to see it more, but I don't know if you can improve her cardio enough where she can fight at a high pace for three rounds. I don't know if she's, I don't know if she's capable of that. She's never done it at flyweight. And in her three or four fights at Bantamweight, she hasn't done it here either. So I, I don't know if it's capable for her to do that. Good thoughts there, sir. Let's talk about this Charlo Brothers 
about where the Twins won, uh, won one via knockout in the eighth, other one via unanimous decision. Go ahead. I'm going to let you have the reins here, man, because this is your space here. I really don't know uh, too much about current boxing landscape. I'm trying to get more into it. But this was a pretty big fight. It was a pretty stacked card from top to bottom. It was $75. Let's start there. Do you think it was worth it based on everything that was asked for in paying for this fight? Do you think it was worth it there? Well, having the two, the title fights of the Charlo brothers, they're they're fairly recognizable. They're both champions. They're they're two of the more dominant champions, and they were in with legitimate punchers and people who were also who had also competed competed at the world class level. So to that degree, I think it was a world. I think it was a pay per view worthy. The thing about it was none of these matchups were the kind of fights that generate a ton of interest. Like none of these guys has a huge fan base. Like. Mikey Garcia versus Errol Spence, that did like three or 400,000 because Mikey Garcia is Mexican and he brings in all those fans. And then Errol Spence is one of the best people in his weight class and that brings in a certain amount of interest. When Spence fought Porter, that was a big fight because he Spence was still carrying over from the fight he had with Mikey, Mikey Garcia, which raised his Q rating. Broner versus Pacquiao, stuff like that. Names for people who bring in ratings and put butts in seats. These guys, even though they're good fights, and they're really high-quality fights. These guys aren't the kind of guys who bring in a lot of fans. I mean, I, it, this, this isn't the kind of pay-per-view that does a million buys. I mean, if they do 300,000, 400,000, that'll probably be pretty good for these guys. Um, a quality was good enough for a pay-per-view fight. I don't know if the names and the excitement and the sexiness and the appeal of the matchups were good enough for a pay-per-view fight. You know, like Colby Covington versus Tyron Woodley, two years ago, that's a pay-per-view fight. Two years later... It's a UFC Vegas fight. These fights are important fights, and they're competitive fights, but they're more PVC primetime or showtime fights than they are legitimate pay-per-view Floyd Mayweather versus Michael Marcos Maidana, Floyd Weather, Mayweather versus Manny Pacquiao type pay-per-view events. If it's going to be pay-per-view, it needs to be an event. This was an event. It was just a very good fight. Let me ask this. Do you think they did enough to become bigger draws in the um, industry? Um, to a degree. They, I mean, they like to talk. They're fairly exciting. Um, they get a lot of knockouts. They, they, they force the issue in fights. They fight pretty often. So it's, it's easy for them to get fans behind them. It's easy to, to, to get interest because you constantly hear about the Charlo brothers on social media, the Charlo brothers on video interviews, the Charlo brothers fighting. So it's, it's easier to build a fan base behind them. And I think, like I said, in these fights, this is very legitimate. Um, one of them fought Sergey Derevchenko, and he's fought Danny Jacobs. He lost to Danny Jacobs. He lost to get it, Triple G. But in each one of those fights, he, he gave as good as he took, and he, he re- really made both guys work. So for Charlo to come through, and be, one of the Charlo brothers to come through and beat him, that's impressive. He's a power puncher. He's a tough, gritty, experienced, um, consistent fighter, and you found a way to beat him going away. I mean, there was really only three or four rounds that were you could give the other guy all the and Charlo basically won the rest of them. It wasn't like he just dominated. They were fairly competitive, but it was clear that he was in control. He had the better athleticism, better boxing ability, more versatility, and worked at a little bit higher higher of a pace. But he did fight a puncher, and he showed that Excuse me. he showed that it, he showed that his chin would hold up, and he showed that his killer instinct would hold up. Because no matter how much he got hit or how much pressure that guy put on him, he was trying to finish. He was trying to put a stamp on the fight. In the case of the other Charlo brother fighting Rosario. Rosario just came off a big knockout win over previously undefeated uh, previous uh, champion J Rock Julian J Rock Williams. He knocked him out. 
Rosario is a big puncher. He's a big, heavy, physically taxing, strong guy. So there was an element of danger to this fight because this, once again, it was another Charlo brother who had never faced a legitimate puncher. So when facing this guy and basically getting into a firefight with him and knocking him down twice and then stopping him, that's a feather in his cap. Now he's a unified champion in the weight class, and he's pretty much cleaned out the division as far as elite world-class contender. He, he's beaten these guys, and he's done it in, in spectacular fashion. So that's going to help him get that's going to help him get some traction. That's going to help justify some of the hype behind him. But it's not like I tell everybody. Being a good fighter doesn't make you a star. It justifies you being a star. He's got the justification. We need to see if he knows, has enough charisma, charm, and he, if he can get enough of his own fan base to get the interest of the other fan base. You know, That's been the biggest thing that holds back MMA fighters and boxers. Mexican fighters have the Mexican base automatically. British fighters have the British fans almost automatically. A lot of the black fighters don't have a majority of the black the, of the black community actively supporting them, buying the pay-per-view. I mean, we spend a lot of money on Jordan, trips to the finals, all-star games, Super Bowls. With the money we spend, a, a, a pay-per-view headlined by a black champion should do a million buys easy. I don't think this did a million buys. And very few black fighters did a million buys, except for Floyd Mayweather, and that's the only one he was fighting big-name guys who brought in their own fan bases. So I don't know that it does enough. It does enough to justify them being stars, I don't know if it does enough to actually make them stars. That's going to be a lot of the work they do on their own. So did you see enough from them that would want people to buy fights in the future? Yes, because like I said, they, they face punchers. And even Derevchenko didn't get stopped, but he was taking a beating. And the guy was obviously outclassed athletically as far as boxing. In the case of Rosario... That was a stoppage win over a known puncher who just had a very high-profile win about six or seven months ago. So it does that. The pro- this is a problem for them. In boxing, everybody has different promotions. There's not enough big-name guys in the division for, for them to fight. It's going to help them help him break through his stars. It's the same problem Terrence Crawford has. You can fight a lot of tough guys. You can fight some guys with some name value, but none of these guys have the cachet, and none of these guys have the fan bases, and none of these guys have the name that's going to take you from that $2 million fight to that 8 to $10 million fight, to take you from that two or 300,000 pay-per-view buys to that 500,000, 750,000, a million buys. None of those guys have the, those opponents on the horizon. You fight a, a, a Chavez Jr., even though he's not a great, great fighter and he's, he's been exposed, he still has a bunch of fans. You fight a Saul Canelo. Those fights aren't available. Those fights aren't here. Even guys without fan bases who are established champions, Saunders and, um, and Demetrius Andre, those, those guys aren't available. Triple G isn't available. You know, these, these guys who they would need to fight to cross, that, to cross the finish line and actually have a chance, maybe not be guaranteed to be stars, but be put on that world stage, aren't available to them. So all they can do is fight who's available, and whoever's available is tough guys, and it'll solidify them to the hardcores, and it'll solidify them to their fans, and it'll get the writer's respect, but it's not going to get casual fan interest. And that's what it's going to take for you to become a star. It doesn't matter if people like us want think they're stars or we're fans. It matters if your cousin or your grandma or your aunt, the people who don't care about boxing, know they're stars. Well, when Mayweather fought McGregor, even my mom was asking me to take bets and get my take on it. My mom didn't care about Charlo Brothers, not because she has anything personally against them, 
they're not big enough stars and they don't have anybody on the horizon who they can fight who's going to make them a big enough star. So it's kind of put a cap on them. They just, all, they, all they can do is keep winning, keep fighting, keep winning. That's all they can do at this stage. Is there anybody, who would you put them up against next? If you were thinking of, if you could book them in a fight that, that you mentioned, you know, they should be drawing millions of, of viewers. Who would you book them with next in order to set that up, to make that happen? Uh, maybe, you know, maybe a Canelo, maybe a, uh, you know, a, a Canelo, a Triple G. Those would be the fights that would garner a lot of fan interest because those guys are still two fan favorites. Some, somebody like that would be the, somebody, maybe if Terrence Crawford moved up to 154, that would be a fight that you could sell. It, it has to be somebody with name, value, and somebody who's a good enough fighter that you were like, oh, I'd like to see what happens in this circumstance. But like I said, most of those guys aren't available. Triple G, Triple G, Canelo, maybe even a Terrence Crawford if he, he, took a, he took a jump up. Maybe a Chris Eubank, not that he's a great fighter, but he's, he's very popular overseas. Murata, um, he's another fighter who's not a great fighter, but he's very popular overseas. Those would be the guys who will get them expand their Q rating across countries, across the U.S., and would guarantee them a certain amount of attention and, a, and more money. But I don't think they make those fights with any of those guys. Those guys all make money without the Charlo brothers. They have no reason to go after a Charlo brother. There's no, there's, there's no benefit for them. They beat them. People will think they're great. People already think they're great. And it, they'll make a little bit of money. But if they really want to make money, go love Ken. And Canelo could fight anybody else and make the same money they fight Charlo with. And they could fight each other and make three times the money they, fight, make, they would make fighting a Charlo. So there, there's really no real viable option to superstardom or big money paydays out there. They're just going to have to keep fighting these other guys and, and see what happens. Great stuff there, sir. Is there anything else from this fight card that you want to point out before we move on to the next topic? No. The biggest, like I said, the biggest thing I was trying to see was what, was, what were the Charles going to do when they faced guys who could legitimately take their power and who could stand in there, force a pace, and give as good as they take? Would they, be, would they still be as aggressive? Would they still push the pace? Would they still be looking for the knockout? They did in both cases. Um, the last thing I'd say is I think Rosario, I think something might have been wrong. He might have had a bad weight cut, and that doesn't take away from Charlo's win. He got in the ring. But I, I feel like maybe he had a bad weight cut, and he, he needs to move up a weight class. I don't think this was the move for him to have this fight. Oh, and before I forget, there's actually one other fight. The Charlo brothers used to be at – they used to fight at the same camp with um, Arizlan de Laura. He's a Cuban boxer. Not very exciting. More of a technical guy who's gotten exciting late in his career. If you can make a fight with someone like him, not because he's still well now he's more of an exciting fighter, but at least there's a backstory. Y'all used to train together. He's a former champion. You could manipulate that to create some interest in that fight. It wouldn't be as big as a Canelo, Triple G, Chris Eubank, Murata, anybody like that. It wouldn't be as big, but at least it'd be something that would get people talking because of the nature of the fight, the nature, the history of their relationship prior to the fight. That would help, but outside of that, there, there's nobody who sparks an interest, like a casual interest. That I, that if I wasn't into boxing, I'd be like, oh, let me hear more about this. Oh, it's just two really good boxers. I don't want to see that. Oh, it's two boxers with some beef. I might check that out. Oh, it's two boxers and one of them is world famous. Oh, I'll check that out. But just two really good boxers? No, that's that's not going to get it. Good stuff there, sir. Good stuff, sir. Um, let's move on to our final topic today. We have a pretty weak card this Saturday. We have Holly Holm versus Irene Aldana fighting in the main event 
And this is basically next to see who's up for the Amanda Nunez sweepstakes if she decides to come back. Congratulations to her and Nina Ansaroff on the new baby girl. I'm not sure if you saw that. But home versus Aldania. What are your thoughts about this fight here and who do you expect to come out on top? Um, it's, a, it's a good fight. You have Aldana, who's been on a bit of a run for, for the better part of the last year and a half. Um, she's more of a straight-up boxer. She's good, got good athleticism, decent power. Um, she seems to short up a lot of the holes she has. She doesn't start as slow. Um, she doesn't wait on people to finish punching before she punches back now. And there seems to be a little bit more structure in what she's doing. She's looking more to aggressively counter instead of waiting her turn or waiting for a wide-open opening. And when an opponent pushes back, she's gotten to the point now where she doesn't. She used to be more of a front runner. Now she's gotten enough experience and enough skills under her belt where when she's put in a bad spot, she can work her way out. When the fight starts turning against her, she will fight her way back into position to win it. She's done it against flawed competition, but before, those same people who were flawed, the minute they would have pushed back, she would have broken. So I feel like she's made some steps forward and she's grown, but I'm going to have to favor Holly Holm in there. Unless Holly Holm's chin is completely gone, Adana doesn't hit hard enough to knock her out, and as easy as Holm can be to hit sometimes, Holm... Excuse me. No, the problem. Hold, hold. Excuse me. Sorry, I can't. Bless you. No, Home has gotten to the point where she's fighting a little bit smarter. She'll use clinches. She'll use takedown attempts. Even if she can't get takedown, she uses them to take the uh, the explosiveness out of people's legs, the explosiveness out of people's arms. And when she starts using clinch and takedown attempts, it makes it harder to read when she's going to kick or punch you. So now instead of her throwing those 15 punch combos where nothing lands, and she walks to a counter because you don't know if she's using the punches to bridge into a takedown attempt or bridge into a clinch attempt, she lands more strikes, and she makes people holster their, their, their guns a little bit because they don't want to throw a big shot, throw a big kick, throw a big punch, and her duck under, get the clinch, and push you up against the cage, or duck under and get a clean takedown and control you for the better part of a round. So now she, she's figured out a way to layer her striking in a manner or to where she's less defensively exposed and she's more offensively effective. I still think she's a bigger, stronger fighter. Even at her age, she's still the better athlete. So I'm going to say that she wins the decision over Adanya. Um, combination of kicks and uh, wall install and takedowns. I think she's just a little bit too seasoned, a little bit too tough, and works at a little bit too high of a pace to um, get beat by somebody like Aldana, who doesn't have a lot of knockout punch, punches and who still still has a little tendency to get a little bit too cautious when people people um, really open up on her or people assert themselves physically on her. She still gets a little defensive. She still kind of accepts bad positions and then will fight back out of them. But when you're fighting a veteran who's faced some of the best strikers and the best fighters in the history of the sport, those spots that you, you get to work your way out of against a Betch Cohea don't get worked out of against someone like a Holly Holm or a Raquel Pennington who used experience in timely punching and takedowns to essentially beat um, Adanya when she faced her. I saw something interesting that um, Leslie Smith was tweeting out in reference to this fight, that she used volume to overwhelm um, uh, Aldana, and basically that's how she won the fight. I forgot she actually had that victory over her. But, yeah. Um, so Caitlin Chigaga did something similar. They fought too. Do you think that that's something that... And what's interesting is because... What's interesting is because... Um, We've talked about home and she's being 
a counter striker. That's kind of how, I think you mentioned how Valentina Shevchenko got the upper hand on her. Do you think she's going to be able to implement a game, as you mentioned, that allows her to open up her skill set and maybe throw on some striking, throw on some grappling, maybe push her up against the cage like she tried to do with Megan Anderson? Do you think she's at the point where she can make those changes? Because something about Holly Holm that I like is that she's continuing, she's continuing to evolve as a fighter. Usually we see people get to this stage of their career, this age, and they are who we thought they are. They fight the same way, win, lose, or, or draw. For some people, that is enough to get them by. And for some people, it's enough that they don't evolve, that they don't uh, advance anymore once they hit a, a certain age. Holmes well, seems to be an exception to that. Do you think she's able to continue that on Saturday? Well, Holmes' camp isn't great on technique. I mean, she, she won a boxing title, but she was trained by a kickboxer, a traditional martial artist, and Mike Winklejohn. Um, what, what Jackson Wink's best thing is they understand the rules of the game. They understand tendencies and the character of the fighters they fight. An example was when Michelle Watterson fought Angela Hill. She knew if she could take Hill down and control her, Hill would panic. Hill would be like, I can't risk getting taken down and control like that again. When in reality, we all know, and, I, and Michelle Watterson knows this, and Greg Jackson knows this, there is no way in hell that Michelle Watterson was going to take Angela Hill down and control her for the better part of a whole other round. It took everything she could to do that. But once they did that, it was in the back of Hill's mind. So now Hill doesn't want to throw, and now Hill's letting Watterson increase her volume. And Hill's letting her take over the fight. It looks like she's taking over the fight because now Hill's not engaging anymore. And in not engaging, when she, her defense is so poor that when she's not striking, you can you can dictate the pace. You can kind of bully her a little bit. You can outwork her. So the, the narrative change and the judges are watching the narrative change in front of their eyes. It's the same thing with Holly Holm. Holly Holm knows that Aldana tends to accept bad positions. It's just now she'll work her way out of them. But if she's going to accept bad positions, and she's going to make certain maneuvers that are going to create openings. She's going to take advantage of those openings. It doesn't have to be something dynamic or spectacular. It just has to be enough to send a message to the judges. In this case, against Rocco Pennington, she held her against the cage. Pennington's like, she didn't do anything to me. Yeah, but she couldn't get off the cage. I'm a judge watching that. Yeah, she didn't do nothing. But that makes it even worse because she's not doing anything to you, and you still can't get off the cage. So she's not hurting you. Why can't you get off the cage? She's physically dominating you. Against Megan Anderson, she didn't, she didn't really out grapple her and, get, and really submit her and work her over like that, but she kept taking her down, and Megan Anderson couldn't get back to her feet. Megan Anderson couldn't really attempt submissions, and Megan Anderson said she didn't do anything to me. That makes it even worse. She wasn't even doing anything to you, and you still couldn't get up. But Holly Holmes has been going over this transition for quite a while. She showed a little bit in Ronda Rousey. She took Rousey down. When she fought Jermaine Durandamy, she was trying to take Durandamy down because she knew she couldn't strike with her. Her style was getting her lit up, so she's using the strikes to wear Duran to be down and create openings for her own striking and to take some but the spark off of Duran Duran to be striking. When she fought Amanda Nunes, she got knocked out early, but her goal was to push the pace. When Nunes took her down, she wanted to get right back. When Nunes clinched her, she wanted to extend those clinch exchanges to burn Nunes' energy and force Nunes to work. Hoping that when second, if she could make it through the second round, second half of the second round, Nunes would start tiring like she's like she did like she's done often, and then she could take over with her own volume. Against Aldana, Aldana doesn't set a high pace. Aldana's not a big striker. You can make mistakes against Aldana and not get KO'd. You can do those things. And as, as sloppy as Holmes' striking technique is, the fact of the matter is she's faced better strikers than Aldana. And she at least has a good enough understanding of distance management that she can roll with, she can roll with shot and she cannot just run on the shots. Because now instead of throwing those punches to land, she's throwing them to get a clinch attempt. She puts Aldana against the cage. She takes Aldana down. She frustrates her. 
she wears her down. So when Aldana lands a shot, they don't have the same kind of power. And if Aldana gets too worn down and gets too frustrated, she's going to bring that head kick and take her head off like she did Betsy hair, like she did to Ronda Rousey. It's kind of what she's doing now. So she's got the better corner. She understands the rules and regulations of mixed martial arts, and she's still the bigger, stronger athlete. If her chin is not completely gone, Aldana's in for trouble. Aldana's in for trouble. She's a better striker functionally than Aldana is at this point. Aldana covers up. She looks to get away. She'll punch back with you, but she's very defensive when you first put pressure on her. If she's going to give Holmes those openings, Holmes going to use takedown. She's going to clinch her up. She's going to chop her up from distance. It'll be competitive because Aldana is aggressive and she has some athleticism. But as far as experience and understanding of cage craft and IQ, Aldana's still fairly low IQ in how she fights. Her techniques got better and her will to win's gotten better. Her awareness on the floor and her awareness in the cage, it's not great. And that got exposed when she fought two smart fighters. She fought Betch Cohea, who she finished, but it's a really back-and-forth fight, which it shouldn't have been. And then she fought um, Raquel Pennington, who just veteran, who just used veteran craft, veteran savvy, and outsmarted her. Holly Holm is there, just capable. Is there anything else on this card that stands out to you? That's something we should look forward to uh, seeing? Um, the one thing, two things. I'll, I'll do the sad one first. Uh, Carlos Condit and Court McGee. It's just really sad to see how far. I mean, I respect Carlos Condit. If he wants to keep fighting, that's great. But it's sad to see a guy who was once one of the what, top five, maybe top four fighters in the world at the stage he's at now. I mean, there's a time when Court McGee couldn't even they deserve to be in a cage with Carlos Condit. And now he's fighting him, and, and there's a good chance that Court McGee is going to beat him. Um, Condit's punch resistance or his willingness to engage in war doesn't seem to be there. It seems like he's almost an exclusively a grappler now. He's not a good enough grappler. He's not a good enough athlete to get by on that. Um, right now, he's not even durable enough to get by on that anymore. He doesn't scramble and go for submissions like he used to because it just seems like he's afraid to get hit or he can't take any hit anymore. And it's just a shame because at one point, he was one of the most exciting fighters, one of the biggest shins and one of the biggest hearts in mixed martial arts. I'm not saying he doesn't have that heart anymore, but you only have so many fights in you. And if it's not life or death, you just don't have the ability to take the shot or come back from the shot, or pull the trigger on shots. And that's where he, he seems, I mean, he lost to Neil Magny. Who would have ever predicted that? He lost to Michael Kiseya. Um, I mean, who would have who picked, who would have who ever said that? In, in Carlos Condit's career, who would have ever said he would have fought to the point where he's losing to these kind of guys when he was one time facing the pound-for-pound pound best in his weight class? So um, that fight is, you know, I don't even know if he's able to watch it. But hopefully he wins so he can go out on a win, but... It's crazy to see how your uh, your heroes and the guys who set the bar, when they hang on too long, what happens to them? I mean, he's two steps away from Diego Sanchez as far as his ability to win fights right now. Um, the other fight that's important, Jorinda Dermandami versus Juliana Pena. That's another big fight for the Bantamweight division. Um, Dermandami already fought Nunez at the, at the uh, featherweight division, and she gave her a good account of herself. To be quite honest, I don't think Nunez has come back to the Bantamweight division. Making that weight cut has a price. And I feel if she makes that cut another one or two times, she is going to get beat as a result of it. So I don't think she's coming back. I don't think I think it's too much of a risk. There's just too many things to go wrong. Your body's not built to up, down, up, down like that. It's just not. And I, I don't think it's good for her to do it. And I don't think she's going to do it. So whoever wins these two fights could really be fighting for an interim title fight at the worst case scenario or a vacant title in the best case scenario. Um, Pena's a good fighter. She's athletic. She's like a Julia Avia, strong, aggressive. Athletic, tough, 
thing is she doesn't really have a skill set. She's like a functional striker, not technical. And though she's a good grappler, I've never seen her submit or dominate a person who is a good submission person or a good wrestler. I mean, she beat Kat Zingano, but it wasn't like she dominated her. She's never really, she hasn't fought a high class of opponent. And she struggled with girls who aren't her size and, and don't have her athleticism. Nico Montagna was giving her, giving her some tough spots early on. Her, her size and her athleticism was able to turn the fight. Durandamy's a comparable athlete. Durandamy's durable. And since I don't consider Julia, Juliana Pena a great finisher, from what I saw against, from Durandamy against Nunes, I feel that Durandamy's a live dog in here. If she can put three or four shots together, she'll stop. She'll stop Pena. Pena can't take the kind of heat that she's dishing out. It's just going to come down to whether Durandamy can defend the takedowns long enough to do the damage she needs to do to win the fight. And in three rounds, I think she can do it. Pena is not the greatest takedown artist, and she's not very defensively sound on the feet. But like I said, her athleticism and her size always give her a fact. And she's a smart fighter. She can make adjustments. More strategic than technical. But um, whoever wins these next two fights really could be fighting for a vacant title or, or at least fighting for an interim title, depending on how long it takes for Nunes to decide what she's going to do. These two fights are very important in this division. Good stuff there, sir. What are some other things you're looking forward to in, in combat sports coming up? Uh, and I, I don't know, kind of the whole, I hate to say it, but the whole Kobe Covington thing and, and the Dana White just kind of back and forth up. Mixed martial arts is like a, it, it's like a sport that wants to try to drive you away no matter how much you like it. You don't understand how many people I know who really like combat sports who just can't watch it anymore because of the nature of the stuff that goes on with the fans and with some of the fighters. And it just seems to never stop. So um, I, I don't know what I'm excited about. I see fights and as a, as a fight person, as a person who's worked with fighters, I'm always kind of interested in, I'll tweet about it and think about it. But it's hard to just get really outright excited anymore because it just seems like it's every, about everything except the fights nowadays. And that just gets old after a while. I mean, and, I, and I'm, I'm not against people speaking about their politics or their beliefs, but it's like the, just the lack of awareness to far how far how powerful your words are and the recklessness abandon the people get to speak with it just gets old man it, it just gets old with how they're inconsistent well this person didn't say anything bold well this person made a vague assumption that you made them apologize you didn't make this person apologize you're not making the right fights guys like leon edwards are sitting on the sidelines having to beg for fights because the ufc won't make people fight them. they can't stop people they're actually an organization who who runs these people they can either cut say either you fight them or you're cut but they're letting guys dictate because the guy pushes their narrative. I mean, the guy makes a little bit more of the money. And that's the same thing they said they would never do because that's the boxing thing to do. And here, they, here it is in the UFC. You got guys who been on eight fight win streaks and they can't get a top 10 opponent. How the hell does that work? You know what? It's interesting that you brought that up because I'm actually having that same issue with MMA because it's just, it's gotten to the point where it's like this, like, I just want to watch the sport and I and what's interesting is I kind of just had a moment where I get where people who are anti Black Lives Matter what they may feel when they watch the NBA but there's a difference because they're like oh I don't want to be made feel, feel I don't want to feel bad because I'm a borderline bigot I don't want to feel bad watching MMA because I know because I have a, a little bit of common sense I have some intelligence in me and I know that the comments that we see from Kobe Covington are, are hurtful, dangerous, and, and harmful. I know that people like Leon Edwards are, are being shafted. I know the fighters are only getting 
17 to the, the 18 to 19 to 20 percent of the revenue from the the UFC and it's probably worse over in Bellator. I we know these things and it makes it hard to enjoy the sport and I get that. I'm having the same conversation about um, about professional wrestling because of stuff that's coming out there. So I totally get the struggle that it, it that comes with enjoying things that we want to be passionate about. I I totally get it and it is it is very defeating sometimes. Yeah, even though I, blame, I, I, I have to say the fighters did it to themselves with the paydays, it's one thing we talk about NBA guys because, you know, I, I can understand why the NBA guys catch a certain amount of crap. Like, even, even though it's not right, some of these people who you don't agree with help pay your salary. They did. Because if they weren't as big a fan, either hating you or wanting you to lose or tuning in to see you win, it would affect you. Some of these guys have life-changing money. The MMA fighters don't have life-changing money. 20 and 20 isn't life-changing money. $100,000 is not life-changing money. I mean, even a half a million, once you get done with the coaches and taxes, we've heard guys making taxes, you know, making money. It's not life-changing money. So it's like a lot of these guys are being exposed to a career that with a company that doesn't doesn't value. The only thing that's value is that it's Dana White in the letters UFC. You might be in their favor for a little bit. It might work for you for a little bit. But ultimately, it's going to come back around and you're going to be on the outs begging for money or talking shit about them when you go to another division, another organization. And it's just, it's hard to get into it, seeing these guys get into wars and knowing they can't pay their mortgage. I mean, if they're, if they're choosing to do it, but it's like, man, come on, dude. Like, y'all are a multi-billion dollar company. You can't, you can't give these guys a functional raise. And they're like, well, if we gave them money, they would just not fight very hard. So you're just going to underpay them, let them beat the hell out of each other? Like, it's it just, it just, it just a lot of levels. And the worst part is, you were routinely insulted by the sport you're supposed to be supporting. Dana White insults us when he when he when he doesn't when we say stuff we don't like. We're cowards. We're soft. Journalists are cowards and soft. Fans are idiots. But then when it's a fighter, he you know he's on the side of well, you don't support him. You're an idiot. And the worst part is you got these morons who support him who don't even know the sport as far as like training who just try to talk everybody down and whatever he says goes. He says so and so is a coward. They're a coward. He says. Someone's a dirty fighter, they're instantly a dirty fighter. He says they're a quitter, they're a quitter. Regardless of what the facts show, regardless of what people who know better say, if Dana White says it in MMA, it becomes true. And so many guys, he's ruined their lives or ruined opportunities out of his ego. You know, his own personal ego, his own personal stance. He's ruined people's lives, and he just doesn't have any concern for it. He's like, well, that's just the way it goes. It doesn't have to go that way, dude. You can buy yourself one less plane and give everybody an extra $5,000 on the paycheck. It ain't going to break you. It's not going to break yeah. you, man, at all. Uh, what are some things you're working on, Schwan, so we can close out the show tonight? I have been thinking. I've been looking over stuff. I think I'm just going to do a breakdown of the different, you know, the Cobra Kai, do the difference between the technical and strategical differences between Cobra Kai karate and Miyagi-Do karate. It seems like a really popular show, and people are always, you know, watching it and talk about the fight scenes, and it'd be, it would be a comic book character, but it'd be a good chance to kind of highlight you know, based off the actual traditional martial arts they're based off of and highlight the differences and the techniques they use to show that how one is more offensive and one is more defensive and how that plays to certain characters and how that plays, how that played out in the fight scenes on the, on the TV show. So I think I've been re- gathering stuff for that and then we'll see if, if Michael thinks it's, uh, if it's uh, MMA rating is worthy. Good stuff there, Swer. Um, sir, we always appreciate your your uh the breakdowns i told you i want to see you start doing some um some 
match up soon, man. Seeing how you're breaking out everyone's. Uh, yeah, I, I be I be giving a lot of ideas, and I I just get vetoed. <laughs> I get stuff there, sir. So that's all. We're gonna go ahead and close out the show for tonight. We will be back next week for another episode of MMA Ratings, probably a shorter so show because I guarantee you, no one will want to talk much about this weekend's fight. But I hate to say that, but that's neither here nor there. Let's just go ahead and move forward. And Schwan, I appreciate you, man. We'll be back next week. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you greatly. Everybody take care and um, see you next week.